Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey everybody, it's episode 18 of Flames Nation Radio, the podcast that's finally old enough to drink, but not old enough to rent a car. Uh, I'm your host, Ryan Pike. Uh, along with me on the ride is the wonderful Shane Stevenson. Hi, Shane. I'm sorry, I'm just laughing at your joke. That's actually pretty good. <laughs> I have one good joke a year, every year, and I it's what? the, the just of... used it on February, early February. So, so uh... it's going to be tough sledding from here on out. Uh, <laughs> as always, we are delivered by DoorDash and also presented by Eau Claire Distilleries, Rupert's Whiskey, the official whiskey of the Calgary Flames. Uh, it is, we are recording this to, uh, to pull back the curtain a bit. We're recording this on Wednesday before the Calgary Flames host the Vegas Golden Knights. And uh, obviously before the Flames host the Toronto Maple Leafs on Thursday night. So you're going to be listening to this in a weird time loop in between. So we thought, what better time after the All-Star break, after, you know, Johnny Gaudreau bemoaned uh, the fact that he had to play defensive hockey and back check in a, in a three-on-three game, that let's, let's talk about the Flames so far. Because we are, what, Shane, 42 games are in the books. The Flames are one of the better half. teams. Yeah, the, the Flames are, are one of the better teams in the National Hockey League. Uh, I think uh, Daryl Sutter's aim was for them to be, I believe, uh, top 10 in power play and penalty kill and goals for and goals against. And they're top 10 in the penalty kill. They're top 10 in goals against. They're sort of in that middle, like the, in the I think the high, te- the low teens for, uh, for goals for, uh, which is a bit of a, of a surprise. And they're sort of in the same kind of spot. I think they're, I, I haven't looked at the stats today, but they're, they have a pretty good power play. I think it's clicking around around 21%, which is not amazing, but it's in the upper, I think it's about the, the middle. One, once middle. every five is kind of what you hope. You know, one, 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 I think the coach said himself, you know, you get one power play goal a game and you're, you're okay with that, right? Like that's... And, and when, when you're, when you're scoring on 21% of your power plays and the other team's scoring on, against you 16%. That's you're, you're coming out ahead. And I think, you know, ideally I'm sure they'd love both to be better, but that that's where they are. And so, you know, the, the flames are about to begin. And again, by the time you're listening to this, they have begun uh, a seven game homestand. And we thought we'd uh, have, have a nice look back. Uh, we uh, Shane, let's, let's, I guess let's start with the simple question for, for you. And then I'll answer what did you expect from these flames this season? And what have they given you? over the last 42 or so games? Um, 
I go back to, I did a few podcast hits before we even started ours up. And even on our intro show, I really highlighted that my expectations, and I believe theirs as well, were for them to be a playoff team, which at this point, specifically, if we look at win percentage, they are second in the Pacific. They're setting themselves up well. They've got games in hand. Obviously, they need to win them, but they're playing in a manner that suggests they will win what they need to win. Um, they're probably a little better than I fully expected myself. Uh, I, I, like, I was telling Pike before we started, I, I expected them to be a playoff team, but I didn't expect them to be as good as they were to get to this point. They've, they've played very structured. They had a little bit of a lull against the really good teams. But again, when you're only losing to really good teams in consecutive and you're being able to show up consistently against the lower end teams, such as the Arizonas and whatnot, other than one blemish against Montreal, but uh, we will just will not talk about that. They, they've done a really good job. I, I did a bit of number crunching myself. Um, the, the signings indicated a defense from this off season that there was going to be an emphasis on defensive structure and defensive play. You, you don't go out and you don't sign Tyler Pitt, like Brad Richardson, Trevor Lewis, without the expectation that these guys are going to come in and they're going to play solid defensive hockey. That, 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 that was largely same with the Zadarov and the good Branson signings. This is what you were aiming for size and defense. So I looked uh, last year when Sutter took over, there was 30 games down the stretch, 21 out of 30 games, the opposition scored three goals or less this season. So far we're at 28 out of 42. Um, when you combine them, that's 49 games over 72 games, 49 out of 72 games that the Flames have allowed three goals or less against while Sutter's coaching, which adds up to 68% so far. So round that up to 70, seven out of every 10 games, they're only going to allow three goals or less. It puts you in a very good position to succeed. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, to at that point, you, you mentioned it yourself, uh, based on uh, Donald Sheshin's uh, prognostications over at the athletic if, if you do well, you get no money from the athletic so we're just plugging it because they do we're just plug over there dom. Uh, but yeah dom, dom's uh based on Don's projections as of wednesday before the game started on wednesday uh the flames have a 93 percent chance to make the playoffs and the current playoff cut line the eighth place team the los angeles kings in the last wild card spot would get in with 93 points if you're the flames you begin your final 40 games needing Assuming Dom is correct, and he's usually pretty close, you need 41 points to get in over the last 40 games. So, as you said, you know they they they, they just need to be extremely extremely mediocre to make it in. If they go pure points 500, they're in. And they they over the first 42 games they played six just shy of 620 hockey, which is pretty good. Like you're not they're not getting two thirds of the available points, but they're getting you know 60 percent of the available points. So that's that's pretty good. Uh, you know, six out of every 10 points is means you're winning, you know, you're winning four, five, you know, four or five games in the, in these uh, six game stretches. And, you know, they're, 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 I think they're full marks for it by that. I mean, three games out of five, three games out of every five. I'm good. At and you did mention too, you mentioned their top five or top singles against not top one, but they're, they're close and their goals for you got to remember, they've only played the 42 games, which helps with the goals against as well as, negates the goal with, with with a road skewed schedule yeah and then you add all that together and then go look at their goal differential i think they're third or fourth behind super teams like colorado and minnesota 
the, the top end of the central, which are going to have to battle it out with each other to even get to the third round. Um, Calgary is sitting pretty decent from an outlook perspective. Like you said, uh, a home ice advantage against possible first round series against whether it's Edmonton. Or... I, I think the, the current, uh, the, the current projections from, uh, from Dom are uh, Calgary, uh, the top three teams in the West would be Vegas, Calgary, and Edmonton. So based on Dom's projections and everybody start rubbing your hands together with Glee, like we are, it would be a Calgary Edmonton first round with Calgary having home ice granted. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, I, I vividly months. remember the last time, last time we had a flame sword playoff series was the friggin' nineties. So it's been, Oh God, it's been too long. I haven't, I haven't seen one in my lifetime. I think it's been 30 years uh, yeah, since Esatikinen yeah. just tore the hearts out of Flames fans. And mm-hmm. the, the again, one of the most iconic moments and in some ways very emblematic of the Flames franchise, unfortunately, uh, and how they've gone, you know, how life has gone for the Flames over the last 30 years. Darren Flurry scores a just a phenomenal goal to not win the series. That was game six. They ended up losing in seven. So, I mean, the it's it's a, a beautiful moment with Flurry sliding on the ice in uh, in in ninety one, but it's also with a bit of a, 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 a whatever the opposite of a silver lining is because they lost that series and that was a game that basically kept them surviving that series. But I mean, for for me, I think you know we were talking about this and I know you know let's be completely honest like Daryl Daryl Sutter's teams have a reputation for being defensive teams and Daryl himself has pushed back on this a bit chatting with media because you know the, the, even the even the LA Kings like we in, in hindsight we all sort of remember the LA Kings as being sort of a low scoring team and they were they were a low scoring team outside of a handful of guys that had any stars so they relied on some really good work from Mike Quick or from Jonathan Quick rather and some some rotating backups but they also relied on a really good checking defensive structured system that made life easy on their goaltenders so they could afford to play Jonathan Quick a thousand times a year because you know he didn't really see a lot of amazing amazing chances I mean uh my, my, I was chatting with my friend, uh, Derek Neumeyer uh, of uh, FC Hockey. Shout out to Derek. Uh, cheap plug. Again, we don't get money from this. These are just our friends who do good stuff. Uh, yeah. Derek was on uh, uh, Sportsnet 960 last week discussing the upcoming draft class. We here will be doing uh, a few draft preview things as we go along, uh, you know, mock first round, those kind of things in the coming weeks and months. Uh, but Derek, who, you know, I, I've known Derek since university. You know, we've known each other for the better part of two decades uh, we, we watched Memorial Cups together, junior games together. Uh, he's one of the people I, I, you know, talk to a lot about, you know, just hockey in general, life in general. He's just a good dude. Uh, but Derek, you know, he pointed out, you know, talking about, you know, some, some, we were talking about goaltending in general, but for some teams, your grandmother could play in that because the system makes it so that they don't need to do anything crazy. And, you know, the, Jonathan Quick, very good goalie. Uh, and he, his very goodness was, you know, exemplified by a system and amplified by a system where he didn't need to be insanely good every night, maybe once in a while, but he was good enough to hold you in against the good teams and good enough to, you know, the, the and then the team was good enough to hold you in against other teams. And we, we've seen that with, uh, the, like, the, I'll, I'll say this, the, the pleasant surprise this year has been the Calgary Flames have been a thoroughly entertaining hockey club. Uh, you know, the goaltending has been generally very good. The defensive group has been generally very mobile one or two exceptions to that rule, but generally speaking, they, they have two very good puck moving pairings and then they have a third pairing, which is fine. And a, the top to protect the slot still like priority number one, make sure nothing decent comes towards your goaltender worry about the other stuff 
if we have to, but yeah, yeah. and very specific role that they're told about too, right? And, so. and you, I think I was expecting the, the first line to, you know, to be good. I didn't expect them to be all world. I expected to- Test in the league. I, ex- I, I, I did not expect uh, Hart Trophy candidate uh, Johnny Gaudreau. Yeah. Uh, I kind of suspect, I kind of expected a return to Vesna-ish form for a healthy Jerick Markstrom or getting that. I kind of expected Elias Lindholm to continue his uh, ascendance into uh, Selkie Trophy candidacy. You know, he, I think he's gotten Selkie Trophy votes the last couple of years. He'll definitely get a bunch this year. He's going to get a lot more this time. But I, I think that's the, that's the thing. I think, you know, last year, let's be completely honest, since, let's, what is it? Since the end, since the Flames clinched the playoffs in Saint, on St. Saint Patrick's Day 2019, they clinched because someone else lost and could not catch the flames anymore. They So, I mean, they clinched because they were very good. They finished first in the conference that season. They were full marks. They were very good. But they backdoored in, and they just they weren't sharp over the last month and a half or month or so of that season. They weren't sharp in the playoffs against Colorado. The nineteen twenty season was just a weird year. It wasn't great. They had the, the Bill Peters stuff. You know, they had, you know, Chris Snow's unfortunate illness and hope, you know, thankfully Chris seems to be doing quite well. And, you know, again, if you got, if you got some spare change, you know, throw, throw some money towards uh, ALS, ALS research because that'd be very, very appreciated by everyone. But, you know, long story short, there's been a lot of weird, awkward, dumb, you know, cursed stuff going on along the flames on ice and off. The team has been... You know, that everybody had a bad year in 1920. A bunch of guys had bad years in 2021. The bubble year was weird and awkward, and no one really had a good time doing it. Uh, the 1920 year, you know, j- just when they seemed like they were starting to get their legs under them, the pandemic kicked in, and they they lost the last chunk of the season. And they, you know, they they had a chance to make a push and really go into playoffs with momentum, and then they didn't. And then they got thumped by Dallas and you know it's it's just been to be blunt it's been a rough few years in a lot of different ways for folks in and around the Flames organization and this year so far seems to be swinging the other way and that a lot of things are going well and the nice thing is you know we've talked about you know we we at this site we're we're our core sort of a, an analytic site and you know uh you know we want to we want to amplify folks fandom with some some sweet funky charts and graphs and stuff nice, nice charts it's, yeah, we, we try that. to jazz them up jazz up the math with some fun colors and simpsons memes and stuff but at our core you know we're, we're folks who like to sort of dig into the math behind everything because sometimes it's a mirage in 1415 the find away flames were a mirage they were a team that pdo'd their way to a really favorable first round matchup. And then they beat Vancouver because Vancouver was not a very good team that year. They were probably the worst playoff team from an underlying Se- And the second worst playoff team was the Calgary Flames. It was literally like Calgary played the one team that they were yeah. favored to beat, which was baffling. Yeah, and the, then the, they the, and, and, you know, and let's, let's give credit where it's due. The Flames were the better team and they were placed against a team that was beatable and they beat them. And they beat them in a fairly thorough way. Like Vancouver did Next not game. look like yeah. they were going to win that series. And the Flames put them away, you know, in a way, you know, very succinctly. So kudos, like we're not taking away, anything away from them. No. But that entire season was propped up by really improbably high percentages, goaltending, shooting, and otherwise. And since and then, they, sort of, and they ran into a good duck squad in the second round. Like the oh, Ducks and Anaheim is just still had Corey Perry scoring goals. Like, like they were well-structured Ducks team and the yeah. Ducks showed them what it took to play at that level. 
Yeah. And and I think since then the Flames have tr- tried to figure out how to have playoff success and they haven't really figured it out yet. And this year seems to be the year where all the things, you know, the, everything's gone really well for the Flames for the most part outside of the entire team catching COVID at the same time, which mm-hmm. if you're going to do it in a pandemic, you might as well have a whole team catch it and not miss any games. Uh, so, I mean, everything's gone well and it's gone well in ways that are sustainable. So if, if the roundabout way is what did I expect? I, I expected the Flames to be a borderline playoff team to sort of be in that bubble because I wasn't really sure how well everyone would you know, adhere to the Sutter doctrine. Yeah. I think they, I thought there'd be more or less where they were before. Uh, and then maybe they'd be lucky enough or good enough to eke in. I will admit they've been both good and lucky and it's managed to make it so that cool. they, they're, they're going to let's like, I, we, you don't want to count your chickens over the hatch, but I'm fairly confident that barring anything really insane happening, the flames are going to be a playoff team come May 1st. That leads into our next kind of topic, things that make us, like you and me, Pike, uh, optimistic. And the number one thing is the structure. Now, I do like what you said. Sutter pushes back on being a defensive coach. He pushes back on that. He's a puck possession coach. He, 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 he uses the term. Puck. He uses the term. He doesn't want to have a defensive team. He wants to have a checking team. And yes. I think that's a that's a very good distinction. And I like that distinction because it really yeah. does describe the style of play they have. Pushing the pace, pursuing the puck, getting on the puck, you know, checking, getting getting it back. If you lose it, get it back. Possess the puck. And that's, that's kind of what I feel when I watch. And the Flames do a lot of things at this point of the season I've seen over and over how the defensemen uh, defend zone entries. They're, they, they've got a plan. They know exactly who to switch off, who chases the guy into the corner, who goes to the net based on how they come across. They do this. I've seen the same things played over and over and over specifically from the defensemen and how they defend, but even how the forwards uh, go about entering the zone, how they go through the neutral zone, everything's there's a system and that, you know, learn how to win, find a way to play. You know, this team had no identity before, now they're playing the same way every night. It's working for them. They're peppering other teams with shots, by the way. This is like just dominant, like the most I've ever seen. Like literally, I, I think as of, as, <laughs> of this, as of uh, this recording, I think, I believe it's, they've had seven or eight games in a row where they outshot the opposition, sometimes by a very big margin. And I think in the last eight games, they're six and two. So, I mean, that is generally, it's generally a recipe for success. Weird, weird stat I want to keep track of as the season gets to a close is most shots by the Flames team in history. I don't know what it is. I don't know what they're on pace for. I'm just saying that that's something obscure record. Are you are you talking possibly hit? Are you talking raw or per game? No, raw total total shots on goal over a span of a whole season. And and. I imagine you're looking it up while I'm talking. Oh, I'm going to look but, it up. If we're going to well, do it. But, but that's, that's something. They, they're setting records. The, the amount of 50-shot games, and you don't get that if you don't have possession of the puck. So the Flames are doing great at getting second-chance opportunities, third-chance opportunities, keeping pressure on the opposition for lengths of time in the zone. So that's the only way you can get to 50, 62 shots in a game on a consistent night, over 40 even. So the Flames are doing great, and they're, they're well-structured in their attack. They, they push to the crease. They try to get to that home plate area we talk about, and Sportsnet shows you lovely graphics and stuff. Um, Pike, do you got her there? Yes. Uh, so 
the we I pulled up the numbers from NHL.com. Thanks, NHL.com. Uh, your website's decent sometimes. Uh, decent. So on a per game basis, the uh, the Flames are have, have generated. 36.4 shots per game through the first 42 games of the year. That is the first, that is tops amongst the franchise history. The, yeah. the second best is 34.9 set in 84, 85 back in the, the eighties where, you know, they didn't really play defense that much. And so that's, that's, that's it. And they're, so they're, they're, it's, they're leading, it's their highest shots per game in history. And it's one and a half shots per game above uh, the, the previous best. Uh, and yeah. also interesting enough, so looking at the opposite, fewest shots against per game, the fewest shots against per game was set in uh, 89-90 with 25.3. Uh, Pretty good team. Second, second, <laughs> second best, and this, this will sound very familiar, second best by j- missing the cut by just 0.2 shots was the, tw- was the 03-04 team with 25.5. That wasn't even a guess, too. Uh, this, year, this year's Flames is, uh, let me just scroll down here. They, uh, uh, they are 23rd. So out of 41 NHL seasons, this is the 23rd best uh, team for allowing the fewer shots, which, I mean, yeah, they're, it's about, it's about uh, an average defensive team in terms of just pure shots. But that's mm-hmm. also ignoring quality, the quality not of counting shots. quality of shots. So, so, it, but I, from an offensive standpoint, that, that paints a huge picture of the flames are producing chances. Now they're not all quality chances and we can, we can dive into that on another day, but just in from, from base level, the flames are producing more opportunities than they did in the eighties when people were getting 180 point seasons, not the flames players. Ken Nelson came in. You got hundred one third. Yeah. The magic man. Yeah. Ken Nelson got on but still like, the, the guy we have projected to be the most points is Johnny right now. He was about a 105-ish pace, over 100, but not 143. And they're still producing more shots than that, that era. So it fantastic job. That's, that's what I'm most optimistic about is their ability to play this possessive structure uh, given to them by their coach. And, and the, the fact that everyone's bought in and, and believes in it. So any game they're out of, they stick to it and they can get back in. So. And I, I hate to correct you, Shane, but the Magic Man had 131 points that year. Yeah, I was overshooting it. I was, you were overshooting it. I was. Uh, he, uh, for those curious, in 80 games he had 82 assists. Uh, he also had 49 goals, 131 points that season, uh, which is the Flames' record. The uh, the assists and points still stands as a franchise record. Uh, goals, goals, Joe, right? No goals is Lanny, Lanny McDonald. Oh yes, Lanny sixty six. How how dare you? We might have no. Joe has the rookie record, and he's top five all time for goals in a rookie season. So I do I do know that. Yeah. Oh, I haven't played I haven't played NHL twenty two and stared at the record book for a while. And and Kent Nelson was uh, third that year in the NHL in points behind Wayne Gretzky and Marcel Dion. Uh, Wayne Gretzky had. One Wayne Gretzky had 109 assists that year. That's just oh my God. he's I, still it was is he still if you took away goals from every single player, Gretzky's got more assists than anybody else, double anybody else almost. So we uh as an aside, damn what Gretzky was good. Damn Gretzky. I I I know I know we hate to admit it. How do they get two of them? How do they get two I, of them, Pike? That's I, not fair. I I feel very blessed to have grown up in this market in the time I did because the nice thing about this team, this living, this market is you got to see the Flames, the 80s and 90s. Not so much the 90s, but the Flames, the 80s were quite good. Uh, yes. but you also got to see, you also got to see Gretzky 
in division for pretty much his entire career before he went to St. Louis and the Rangers stopped being good. So that was fun. Uh, we, so uh, we went, we, optimistic. we called out to Twitter. We called yeah. out to our friends at Twitter about things that made the uh, folks optimistic or pessimistic. We're going to start with the optimistic because it's a lot of the same things that Shane was talking about. Uh, let's see. Uh, optimistic. Uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce names because I'm going to butcher your names, folks. So thank you very much for replying. Uh, I apologize for not quoting your names because I'm just bad at names. Uh, optimistic. Uh, a lot of things that came up frequently were the goalies, obviously. Mm-hmm. The first line. Uh, the top line was a huge one. De- a defense, lot of people... This is a year where the Flames lost, uh, let's say, the best or second best defenseman of all time. Uh, I'd say Al McInnes and Giordano are good in different ways, but I'm I'm a Giordano guy, but I'm biased because I watched his entire career here. But the Flames lost their best defenseman, their captain, for, for nothing, and their defense is actually better than it was last year. That's weird. But it's yeah, kind of, it, that kind I of tells you coming. that tells you the, the story of the whole season, I think. Uh, other things, work ethics, Daryl's system. Daryl, Daryl's love. Daryl got a bit of love from a lot of people. a lot of Daryl love. He should, uh, he should, rightfully team, so. He's a team jackass. play, team play, systems, coaching, uh, offensive zone play in general. Like they're not, they don't throw chances away. They they're good at getting quality chances. Uh, depth, uh, see. High, high end depth comes up a lot. You know, if you look at their top six or so, uh, there's a lot of nice things to say. Uh, so I, th- I think we've, I think we've well tilled the everything is awesome, hooray for everything ground. And now six, six weeks for the trade deadline. I think what, what it makes people nervous. And I'll, I'll start off with the, with the, the fan input chain, and then you and I can chime in. And it's mm. going to be a lot of things that we've talked about on this program in the past. Um, middle six and bottom six scoring. Um, people are nervous in general about injuries, especially high-end injuries. Um, I think I'd agree with that. And if, if anyone goes down the top six, I don't know if you can move, you know, someone from the third line. Like if a center goes down, Monaghan, the top six makes a lot of people nervous. If a winger goes down, Dubé, the top six makes people nervous. Uh, they only really have two right wingers in the entire organization. So if someone in the top six goes down, I guess Brett Ritchie goes in question mark. Um, I, I, I do, uh, we'll get into, no, we'll, we'll finish the comments here before I, what else we do. Uh, this will, this will be a thing that comes up and we might as well address it head on, uh, things that make people excited and optimistic are often boiled down to the coach, Daryl Sutter. Daryl Sutter has two Stanley cup rings as a coach. He has a lengthy professional, uh, playing career, a coaching career, managerial career. Like the dude just knows hockey. He, you know, he's, he's a hockey guy. There was a, uh, before the first battle of Alberta of the year, he went on this beautiful zoom tangent talking about the history, the real history of the battle of Alberta being, you know, back in the WHA when the, we were supposed to have two Calgary, uh, Calgary, the Calgary Broncos before they folded and they moved somewhere else to, to, because they couldn't have local ownership here for whatever reason. And the Alberta Oilers who were, they discussed potentially doing home dates, both in Calgary and Edmonton realized that was a logistical nightmare only did home games in Edmonton and then changed the name back to Edmonton Oilers. And then the Calgary Cowboys arrived in 74, two years into the WHA's existence anyway. So as a complete aside, I love how much of a hockey nerd Daryl is because it's amazing and, and fun. The other thing is, uh, the thing that makes people nervous is Bradshaw Living. Uh, Bradshaw Living has his guys, and let, let's be you know honest. Like you know, 
Brad Living hasn't had a coach like Daryl, and he hasn't had a team that's done this well at this point of the season. So if you want to play devil's advocate, the idea that, oh, Daryl hasn't, or, uh, Brad hasn't really put all his chips to the, t- to the middle of the table. Yeah, it's, I, I think there's some reasons behind that. I think the logic of being a bit risk averse, knowing that, you know, if, if, you, if you know you're going to have two more years or three more years or four more years of Johnny Gaudreau, you don't need to blow your brains out to make a big push this year necessarily. Same with Kachuk, same with everybody. But this year seems to be the stars aligning in that the team is very good and has doesn't have a lot of holes. And the holes they have, you know, it's like, okay, you have, I think right now they, they can add $5.6 million in cap hits and be cap compliant at the trade deadline. So they, they, they'd have to wait to add them all the day of the trade deadline, but they can add just shy of $6 million bucks, which is not insignificant. That's either one big ticket player or two or three medium ticket or low ticket players. So that gives you a lot of opportunities to fill in holes in a lot of different ways. Uh, but yeah, you know, Brad living his, his, the best work he's done at the trade deadline has been selling pieces during the acquisition phase. And since then the, he's done a lot of decent trades. Like, like like we don't have, we are number one center or number one center and our number one D people will argue mention out of blocks to the cows come home at the draft though at the draft i was gonna get i was actually waiting i want i have a few compliments i mean a lot of people are so pessimistic about it what's he done he's missed out on this he's missed out on that i'm like let's let's stop and focus for a second folks for every trey brower you're gonna point out signing you're gonna point to me i'm gonna point out uh markstrom and anev who have been exponentially important to this and i will i will add i will add Michael Frolik. Michael yeah, Frolik I was, gonna was say fantastic him for three seasons. And then in the fourth season, they shipped him out for a, for a draft pick that turned into a, a pretty decent uh, goaltender in the minor leagues right now. Like Danil Chechilev, he's yeah. probably going to, you know, he'll be something at some point. He might just be depth, but they didn't lose, the, you know, they took a guy they got for nothing on free agency and turned him into something. So he didn't trade Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. He's, he's getting stuff back. Like, like he's getting stuff of similar quality back. You know, he got a decent return for Sam Bennett. Now you can talk about Sam Bennett for all you want. That wasn't happening in Calgary. We determined that uh, it, it never worked out. It wasn't working out. He got a second round pick and another prospect that was taken in the second round that they obviously valued and were looking at. So he, he, he always finds decent value back his signings have been decent as well like i said tanev and markstrom yeah there's the few there's the fluffers but i mean everyone not I mean, everyone is 100 success rate. if, but if the you're number if, one thing if we're playing devil's advocate like it, it it's difficult to 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 reconcile the notions of hey why isn't brad doing things during the trade deadline to load the team and hey why is brad signing player who's you know has a reputation as goal scorer great guy whatever to a contract i don't like like the the james neal trade worked or the james neal signing worked except for the fact that that was the season that sean monahan broke his hand he was coming off a broken hand they didn't want him taking face-offs for the first uh few weeks of, of camp maybe they, i think they basically wanted him to not take any face-offs at all because they were worried about him his hand healing fully and doing finishing out his rehab and so they use elias lindholm who wasn't really a full-time center but play a bit of center they use lindholm as a center and it really really worked and then if if lindholm 
you know, Lindholm found at home with Goudreau and Monaghan. And once it worked that well, you're not going to take him off. So yeah, I think James Neal was the victim of circumstance. If James Neal was playing with Goudreau and Monaghan, like it was, he was sold on. Yeah. I'm sure he would have, he would have been fine because those two players were, were at that point were really good and good enough to carry, carry someone who could just put in sweet one-timers. And his numbers really did drop off. His numbers did drop off exponentially between the Vegas and the Calgary. Like it, it was, but they were, they were, never, they were bound to, but yeah, also it, it, like it, you, from, from, from a hockey perspective and a personal perspective, Shane, if I sold you, you know, come, come to, come to Calgary and play with Gadron Monahan and you get here, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you're mm-hmm. playing on the third line. Sorry, bro. Cause he wasn't good enough to play as a, as a shutdown guy. Like he's just, he would probably admit that his defensive game wasn't good enough to be a shutdown guy. So he couldn't play anywhere in the top four then. Cause he couldn't be on backlands line with the, with the matchups they were getting. And right mm-hmm. away, boom, your, your guy, you spent all that money on drops to the third line, throw no fault of his own because of just circumstances and Circumst- you know, that's why that wind home line worked in china because they remember that was the china games to start yeah. and so they were over there and peter's just peter's was just experimenting but no what i what i want to get back to brad kind of when brad took over do you remember what like a level prospects we had in the in the pipeline even a b level like i will Jim- say the great sven berchi and mate was horak still here Roman Horak, maybe. Skorak. But, like, but if you're really taking an honest God look, say, and let's stop and then say, okay, say Brad goes today. Like, we're not saying he's going. Who, name, name A-level prospects. Do we have any? Dustin Wolf, I would consider a very highly touted prospect. Uh, based on his success in the AHL, we get Jacob Pelche so far. Uh, people are still high on Connor Zari. Um, Jeremy Poyer is one solid eight start to the AHL season away from being a very valuable player. Po- po- uh, Poyer, the only, wide. the only question people have of Poyer is, can he defend against pros? He's, well, that's, and that's and, why. And, and the thing is, he's been yeah. so good. He's so good offensively that he hasn't really needed to play the defensive side of the game that much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you have Yan Kuznetsov who could do that. Yan Kuznetsov, ironically, is sort of one of those A minus B plus prospects that just needs to get more swagger offensively. So combined mentioned Coronado yet. Like, like that's what I'm saying is there's there's a lot of the outlook of and Brad's drafting alone has been better than we've seen for decades in Calgary. I, I would it's not all Brad, it's a great scouting team behind him. But by no means should it be overlooked. Yeah. Because I'll, it, just just to answer your question, the best prospects. I'm just looking at hockey reference at the the last few drafts before Tri Living took over. Uh, it gets rough really quickly. Uh, yeah, Johnny Gaudreau when Brad Tri Living took over was had already played an NHL game, but th- there was a question of would he be a full timer right away? Would he need seasoning? So let's put Johnny Gaudreau, but he inherited him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sven Berici. Mark Jankowski, Sean Monahan had already played a full year of NHL, so I don't think he would count as a prospect. So three guys, no. arguably the uh, the up and comers, maybe four. You know, Michael Ferland was knocking on the door. He was sort of a tweener guy at that point. More of a Brzezicka type, though, right? Yeah, right? I, like, I think that's like, a fair comparison. I think fair that's a fair comparison. comparison. Like so a guy that I'm, I'm talking guys we could include in like a trade at the trade deadline, a prospect that you could trade and add to your roster without subtracting from your roster. And when Brad took over, were you going to give away the only forward prospect that hadn't played in Berchi at the time? Probably not because your cupboards are so bare and you weren't really competing. And so now 
if the Flames wanted to, they could part with one of these prospects. Now it would, everyone's going to, it's going to sting because everyone's got a favorite prospect, but I mean, if it's in the pursuit of a Stanley cup, then I mean, eventually you have to do that. That's just part of the business. Look at Vegas, Vegas. We we were talking about it. They drafted three players in the first round in their first ever draft. One place for Montreal, one place for Ottawa and the other one placed somewhere else now too. None of them stayed. They, but, they, but, they turned them into Pacioretty, Mark Stone, and Alex Petrangelo, basically. And and that's but that's a that's a team that you know uh, you gotta give credit to Jordan McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon. Mm-hmm. They 100%. they saw the opportunity. They saw a path to potentially get to the Stanley Cup final in their first year, which they did. They saw that path and went, screw it, we're in. What do we do? Yep. And they like they you know they they're very bless their hearts. I think it's gonna at some point you know it's a let's be completely honest. It's kind of a human business. You know, hockey is a game of people, and at a certain point, players, agents, whoever will be a little bit hurt. Like, look at how, like, all due respect to the folks in Vegas, it feels like they did Mark Andre Fleury dirty, for an example, because Mark Andre Fleury didn't fit into their their cost system anymore, and they they had to make cold, rational decisions to free up money for other things. So, Especially and, after and like winning season, and like that's the worst part. And let's be, again, let's be honest, as of this writing, or as of this recording, Jack Eichel is skating, he's clear for contact, but he's not playing against the Flames, because they don't, A, he just got clear for contact, like, a couple days ago, so it's going to be a few weeks, they, based on the last projections from Puckpedia, I think they need to jettison, like, it's it's higher now. It's higher. Oh, it's higher now. Okay, it goes so up. At, it was four point three million the other day, which the, they it was it was the other day because but they had to add somebody from the farm team because somebody got hurt or the sniffles or whatever. So it's five. Mm-hmm. It's about five point one ish. Yeah, it's five point one. So they're going to have to lose somebody really significant off the roster in order Pretty to get Jack Eichel in. Dadnov or Riley Smith is everyone's favorite and topic. And Dadnov has term. Smith's better with one if year. you're if you're even Riley Smith wouldn't be enough. They'd have to no, move some, send somebody down and jettison him, and then they're into like really dicey cap territory. Like, so that's take that's, William Carrier's one point six and uh, Riley Smith's five, and set that that that'd be enough. But that's saying that's two good players. You're not just taking one out; you're taking two good players off the roster to fit them in. So, so it's but. It, Anyways, to, to, to wrap it all back up to we were talking about the fans were pessimistic or nervous about Brad. I just want to say, like, I, under, I understand your sentiments, but it could be worse. And there's been a lot of and, positive things he's brought. And let's let's be honest here. I mean, the, the, I, I, if you want to say the Flames are a critical mass of A-level prospects, I have some, some swamp land in Florida to sell you because that's not true. They have three More. to five really good a-level prospects none of them outside of maybe dustin wolf are franchise altering players dustin wolf even now i think you could project him to be you know he'll be an nhl goalie of some kind maybe he'll be above average maybe he'll be average but getting an average nhl goalie or getting getting an average nhl anything in the seventh round is akin to a friggin' miracle so i love i love watching uc like soros is his height nhl height comparable so I love like watching like like if that's Saros his peak like what we hope will turns into which is great because he's carrying the Predators this year like he's doing but great. My my that's my way of saying like so they have you know Wolf is probably the most potentially impactful NHL player they have in their system, and then they have you know Coronado will be a middle six uh, a middle six player, uh you know so will so will Zary so will you know Pelche I think those are all safe bets Pelche. Pelche might just be another for a leak. 
you know, a fro leaky player with maybe a little bit more offensive upside. So, I mean, so they, yeah. they have some guys who will help them even, you know, I, I think, you know, Jeremy Poirier probably projects as a power play specialist at the NHL level, like third pairing and PP, unless he gets his, his, uh, his defensive game going a little bit more. Again, similar things were said about TJ Brody when he was a junior player transitioning into the pros. So a lot of things can happen. But so you they, can't they, guarantee they, they don't the have prospects a, are going to turn into the player you acquire. They don't have a lot, of, a lot of slam dunk. Like say, you know, after when Johnny Gaudreau, you know, was after his first year of college, especially his second year of college, prospect honks were salivating because they're like, "Holy crap, this guy's gonna be really good," unless they screw him up. And thankfully, no one screwed him up. He was really good. He's still really good. But the last, you know, the Flames have had. You know, the, your franchise-altering prospects since Bradley Living's come in have been Kachuk and Gaudreau, and that's it. The rest of them have been pretty good. They've had a lot of guys come in and play significant minutes. You can make an Anderson's argument. Anderson's been a decent pickup. He, he's, he's a top-four top guy. He's a top-four guy, but, you know, he's no – he's no. I, I think of this way. Back in the day, we call, when, you know, when we were kids, we called it the Akinla test, as in what's the top line? The top line is wherever line Akinla's on. That's the Aginla test. So the Flames have a Kachuk and a Gaudreau. So whatever line Kachuk and Gaudreau are on, especially together, is the top line. The Flames don't have that with the defense. They have a top four. They don't have a de, a de facto top, you know, number one pair because none of their guys are guys you say, that guy's the top defenseman. They have they're not them. McAvoy, Fox, McCarr, right? But they're yeah. solid. So the, the Flames have a lot of guys who project to be, you know, they have a lot of guys that fans – prospect honks scouts whoever can get excited about but they're always a bust like you know even you know the the flame even the, the flames best prospects are guys you go they're pretty good but they're not going to be top line guys or they're pretty good but their defense is kind of eh. they're pretty good but they're kind of small they all have that kind of a butt. but we got to find a but, balance too but the, the flames have enough of those guys that you can probably live with it because they have a lot of they have a lot of b B plus level prospects. They don't have a lot of, you know, random dudes like you're, you know, they don't have a lot of random dudes who are AHL filler, you know, all due respect. They don't have a lot of Zach Fishers in their system. They have almost none, you know, they don't have a lot of guys who go, well, he's a good NHL, but he's never going to play in the NHL. Like even the guys like Ichu Tolola is probably one of the guys who has a large uphill battle to go because he's been kind of inconsistent as an, as a, as an NHL player, he might get qualified. He might not it's going to be an uphill battle, but he's got that great shot. So the guy, even the flawed Flames prospects have that thing that make you excited about them. Uh, maybe Colton Pullman, you could make an argument that doesn't really have that because he's he's a good 2A AHLer, but he doesn't really have that thing that makes you excited about it. He's not bad. He's just, he's an AHL level guy. Uh, you know, you, you know, even, you know, someone like uh, Ilya Slavyov is a little bit younger. Slavyov has, you know, sort of that ability to shut guys down when he's on his game. He's not always on his game, which is why he's on the third pairing in the AHL. But you can kind of see why the scouts are like, well, he's got decent size and you can kind of lean on guys. And you, know, and you can you can do defensemen a little longer too. Like you can stew them up to their 24, 25. This is, this is the long way of saying the Flames through trades, smart drafting, European free agents, college free agents, whatever, all the mess that they have available to them have gotten themselves to a point where they might not have a lot of high-end prospects. They have enough exciting prospects or got people who be exciting to different teams that they can probably put together a couple trades and not completely empty the cupboards. Like they're not going to Stockton's not going to suddenly become a lousy AHL team because of the trades Brad 
you know, potentially has to make between now and the trade deadline. And I think well, that itself might be the thing that makes you, he's not a bad GM because they, they have that kind of depth and they've accumulated that kind of depth where they can, they can do a lot of things and they're not going to completely handcuff themselves. Would you say a standard package for rental player is a player pick prospect, right? Like a low end player, a high round, high draft pick and a prospect that the other team's interested in. If, if you say that that's the base package, the Flames have depth players they could move. They may not want to, but they have. But if they, they, if they just want to do picks and prospects, they got a first and two seconds this year. They got a first round pick next year. That They, they have uh, all their picks next year. Yeah, they haven't touched I it all. I'm just saying I personally wouldn't want to touch next year's draft pick. I would try to skip to 2024 just because the draft is insane. But uh, they have ammo. They, they, they're they're not going to be struggling and everyone say you know it was oh he missed on this he missed on jack eichel which was the, the package ended up being what buffalo wanted peyton krebs in that draft pick buffalo picked that there was an offer on the table they said so like it, it's not brad's fault that they or buffalo picked vegas that's there's no no fault to him if he put, tabled a decent package that's comparable right we don't know that for certain. That's speculation. Obviously, would like to clarify that. But he's got the tools for players like JT Miller, Tyler Toffoli, uh, second line guys that have been names have been floating out here. They're easily Calgary has the ammunition to get if they want. the The cap hurdles are a different thing altogether, especially if you're going to get someone that has term. But for this season, and if you want to push the cap trouble to the road if they, they could if they really want to you could do something like that and the flames have the tools to do it i think the flames is currently constructed are probably the best team that brad living's had since he's become a general manager and they're miles ahead of what daryl sutter had to work with when he was the head coach here back you know years ago you know he has some, like yeah like <laughs> they, they have they have a, a team that can maintain a really high tempo of play and play an entertaining system but i think the big thing is you know they I think the big challenge now is can they, the things that make you nervous, like, oh man, you know, if I, if one of the top four defense guys get hurt, it would suck, but I think they have enough depth. They could work around it. I still think they need to add a depth defenseman at some point, somebody with some playoff experience. I think that would make Carol Sutter and everybody sleep a little bit better. Their goaltending's fine. You know, granted, if Marksman goes down, no one's really expecting them to go in a cup run with Dan Vladar, but you could say that about basically every NHL team. Uh, but if, if someone on that top six goes down right now, unless they add some bodies, I think that'd be the, the big Achilles heel of this team. And I think it's obvious. And I think, you know, uh, you know when he was on with uh, with our friend Pat Steinberg and Matt Rose on Sportsnet 960, the fans uh, flames talk on Tuesday afternoon, uh, you know, Brad, really flat out, you know, he basically said, yeah, I'm looking for scoring depth. So, you know, the scoring is the one thing that sort of, I think, keeps the flames up at night in, in their hockey ops department. There's one thing they text each other at night. Their text chain's all about, we need more goals. Yeah, bro. We need more goals. Cause bro, they need more goals. And they know it. Like, there's not, a, it's not a secret, you know, Pierre Lebrun did also did a piece uh, with Brad, you're living and the big, the big takeaway. It was kind of, I, I don't like, I don't like ragging on our media friends because they're all lovely people for the most part. Uh, but when insider trading's big headline pieces, the flames need secondary scoring one, they just did a 30 minute interview with Pat uh. saying the same thing. So you're not exactly towing new, you're not exactly tilling new ground, but since, since the flames have been since, since Jerome McGinley was here, since the days of yore, since probably the, the late eighties, when the flames needed to start stripping down the team for spare parts after they won the cup, 
they've they've needed secondary scoring for like 30 years it's this since, is not since the guys since the guys retired they, they won the cup and then they had a few guys retire since you, since the canadian since, since the canadian dollar hit the toilet in the, in the early 90s and they needed to sell off guys left and right to to keep payroll afloat the the flames have needed secondary scoring so i mean yeah that's it's a story it's a story but it's not really a new news because they there's this is no secret league-wide i think everyone knows the flames are in the market secondary scoring but i think i think also they're in a position where secondary scoring can benefit them more than it ever has before and i think they're in a position now where they have as you said shane they've got the bullets to do some things and still have some ammo left for later on i mean the the cap the cap is the cap they're this summer's gonna this summer's gonna be weird and wacky and, and fun for a lot of reasons you know part of it is you know like we talked about last week johnny gaudreau's uh, contract uh, it's a lot of other things they need to do i honestly think outside of the johnny gaudreau piece they're gonna be working on johnny gaudreau to johnny gaudreau's done that's not a secret but outside of johnny gaudreau i don't think they give a crap about anything else except maximizing the playoff window right now because yep. you know if they're like if you're like oh no you know you can't do this the cap will be weird next year cap is going to be weird next year regardless if they do nothing if they do if they make the move they want to make or they make some move they make no moves whatsoever if this trade if this trade line trade deadline turns into the uh, that one year where jay feaster just re-signed tim jackman for some reason they're still <laughs> gonna, they're still going to need to do some really really crucial things to restructure the salary cap of the team there's been a lot of moves done in the modern day for the flames to try and just get right hand shooting forwards period uh jackman shot the puck right for leak shot the puck right uh brower shot the puck right. and and then and then they ended up trading tim jackman to i believe and- anaheim for a guy who retired yep yep it just is it the things they've done to try and be like, oh, we just need a right-hand shot. Let's just plug someone in. And it, I mean, now they're actually, you know, you've got Trevor Lewis. Pitlick's a right-hand shot. Pitlick's probably been. Lewis, isn't Lewis there. a lefty? No, he's a right-hand shot. He's a lefty. Richardson's a lefty. Uh, they, Richard- they, added three, they added two right-handers, I thought. I thought it was Lewis, uh, Lewis Pitlick, and then they had Lindholm. If I get this right, I'm gonna I'm gonna lord it. You over can you. roast me. That's fine. Uh, they've got Anderson and Tanev on the back end, and Dud Branson. So like they've they've got a decent plethora now. A lot long long ways from when Troy Brower was literally the only option. That's why he was on the power play. <laughs> so, but they've been great. How dare season. you disparage the Brower play? Trevor, I love them. Trevor Lewis. I, I okay, I've, I I stand corrected. Yeah, I, I did. I remember it because I uh, when I did the season preview of what they were going to do, I specifically looked and said, oh, they got right hand shot defensive forwards because that was something a they needed right hand shots. B, they avidly went out and got a bunch of guys that profile the same. So um, now's the time to improve on it. They could. The other thing people don't realize is Tyler Pitlick's uh, got a one point some cap hit. And so if you include him in a possible deal, that that could help money now it's, it, it's, it's if, not again we are waiting until the trade deadline if like this this is I, happening if if you're a gm and you trade for a 1.75 million dollar player who's been injured two-thirds of the year you, yeah. you should just go find another job because that's yeah. that's well, malpractice unless he's, throw in, unless he's a salary throw in which i mean this is a business and there are people but like it happens it does you're, you're and, gonna i i think it's for, for what you're going to have to eat for that, just if you if that's what you need to do, just wave him and put him in Stockton. 
you'd save the money. Yeah. You say it's, yeah. it's, I think it's less of a headache, but yeah, there it's, it's going to be a really it's, interesting last 40, 40 games because, you know, the flames are in a position where, you know, as you know, obviously recording this before the Vegas game, Vegas is catchable. Like yeah. this, they could catch Vegas. They need to beat Vegas when they play Vegas. They need to and win Vegas the games against the teams. Back, at them. Back tonight too. Calgary's oh. had all that all-star break rest. Now that might <laughs> all-star break rest is different than in-season rest. <laughs> I will clarify that, but they played though. Vegas played it's, the Oilers last night. It's they are having, going with the Swedish goalie matchup, Leonard versus Markstrom. Having six days off because uh, the all-star break is a lot better than having 19 days off because everybody's got coronavirus. So, mm-hmm. so we'll see how- Calgary's got experience of jumping out of a break recently too. So that's added this they, is a game they, they they were really lousy they played their worst hockey of the season the first couple of games after the virus because spoiler everyone got the virus so <laughs> let's let's not let's we'll, we'll restrain ourselves from touting uh any a break of any kind as a positive because the flames historically are not a team that's played well coming out of breaks hopefully they break that thing that but happened in the 1920s like you said when they 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 were hot as heck going into that all-star break and they came out of the last half of the season skimmished their way into the playoffs and then got thwomped by Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon <laughs> that was that was 1890 1990 was, was them getting yeah. thumped by uh by Dallas was Dallas yeah but it, point stands uh the, the play down the stretch matters and the flames have shown already this season a predominance they may not have been hot right out of the break but we was we established covid but they were able to get back to the form which we've seen the last before the break the last two weeks especially they were back where they needed to be they were back playing the way they wanted to play dictating games positively so going forward i do envision some calgary flames playoff hockey specifically i really do think that they'll get home ice advantage um and I pray it's against the Oilers just because I want to experience that. All, all <laughs> disclosure, our parent company is Playmaker. Our parent website is Oilers Nation. <laughs> it would be so lovely for so many people for so many reasons to have a playoff battle in Alberta. It would be great. We don't ask very much. We just ask for exciting playoff matchups. I mean, at this point, you know, playoff hockey any in play- general is any a Any playoff matchup will be exciting for Flames fans. What's, what's that old joke? At my age, it's great to be seen anywhere. So at this point, you know, if you're in the National Hockey League, you're just happy to be in the playoffs. But covering the National Hockey League, oh, God, I don't want this playoff series. It'd be fantastic. But we're being very selfish here, but I don't care. I think everyone listening to this podcast, either they, across they, the world would want the Flames to battle the Oilers just because it's, it's time. It's time. Ready. They've got McDavid, right? Like, like just the storylines just add up, so. No, Jane, what are you talking? No one wants to see Calgary and Edmonton. No one cares. Yeah. Bring on, I don't know, Nashville or well, LA. Sutter's old team, Dowdy, Chuck. I mean, that's also good, good storylines there. Uh, Vegas, the team Calgary can't beat. Good storylines there. You know, uh, Anaheim, how long, how many the years? Other, the other team Calgary can't beat. Unable to win in Anaheim, right? There's a storyline for every team except San Jose. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> So the other the teams, teams, no, no, because that's another, that's another old uh, Sutter coaching team, the team he coached before Calgary. And they beat them in 0304, right? Like, like um, there's, there's, there's you, we can manufacture storyline for everyone in it, but 100% I'm with you, Pike. Let's be absolutely selfish. I want, I don't know. I need Calgary to play the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs. 
And it's a- and and on on that note, I think that's a good enough place to finish off this week while we still have some energy in our bones. Uh, as always, Flames Nation Radio is brought to you by DoorDash and Eau Claire Distillery, and their delicious, fantastic Rupert's whiskey, the official whiskey of the Calgary Flames, which would be delightful to drink in the playoffs, don't you think? Uh, th- that'll that'll do it for this week's edition of Flames Nation Radio. For Shane, I'm Ryan. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.